Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hey, hey, great to be here on the Brave Parenting Podcast, and wherever you are, we are glad that you are here joining us. Today, we are going to be looking at a news headline, well, one in particular, and that is the 41-state joint lawsuit against Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta. Now, the lawsuit was announced on Tuesday, October 24th, and originally included 33 states. As of today, that number is now 41 states have joined this lawsuit. And the reason for the lawsuit is simple. All of these states claim that Meta intentionally designed Facebook and Instagram with features that harm teens and young users. According to a complaint filed in the Oakland, California federal court, quote, Meta has harnessed powerful and unprecedented technologies to entice, engage, and ultimately ensnare youth and teens. Its motive is profit, unquote. All right, here it goes, Kel. I am already throwing up a red flag. Youth and teens. So that in itself is part of the problem that kids younger than 13 are engaged on this, these platforms. Now, don't get me wrong. I appreciate that they've acknowledged that fact. But at the same time, it burns me because Instagram knows that younger than teens are on their platform. And big and parents at this point should know that there are major concerns regarding mental health and social media like Instagram. So why in the world are these younger than teens on here? They are never reported in the research because they aren't allowed on the platform. But Everyone knows that they're there. I know. Yeah, 100%. You know that I agree. I, it, it's true. I mourn this reality that it's children. They are younger than 12. These are 11, maybe 12 years old. And they're allowed on the platform with a simple lie of, of their date of birth. And honestly, you know, for the unbelieving world who doesn't find lying about age, you know, to access Instagram, if they don't find that morally wrong, this really shouldn't be very shocking. But what I mourn the most is that we as like professing Christians, as Christian parents, that we should, honestly, we should have a moral objection to children lying about their age in order to get on Instagram in this way. But it's happening all the time. But nonetheless, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, <laughs> demonstrating our passion on this topic, let's get back to that lawsuit. It states that Meta knowingly and intentionally designed the app with features to harm young people with a motive for profit. Now, back in 2021, a Facebook whistleblower revealed internal documents that showed Meta knew of Instagram's harms and continued on with business as normal. Well, here we are two years later and no significant changes have been made regarding Instagram's harmful features or even holding them accountable for what they do know. Now, we have 41 states, 41 all in bipartisan agreement, right? both Republican and Democrats in agreement that Meta needs to be held accountable. Can we just pause and reflect on how rare that is? When was the last time so many states united on a single cause? That's a really good question. I think we could look back and argue big tobacco, right? That was a common enemy that they had back yeah. in the 1950s. There is a lot of comparison right now that's being made with how big tobacco knew 
of the carcinogenic effects of cigarettes in the 1950s, but they actually did admit to it and take responsibility until 2006, when a judge finally found them guilty of lying to the American public about the deadly effects of cigarettes and secondhand smoke. So, big question. A lot of people are wondering if it's going to take Meta 50 years and how many lost generations will there be before they're held accountable for lying and pushing a product that knowingly hurts young people. In a a recent Fox News article, uh, one of the ex-Google consultants who actually was a key figure in the popular Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma. Do you remember watching that? Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, he detailed the negative impact of big tech and how that negative impact can, what it can have on people, what it can do to them. So he says that he feels that the lawsuits are only the beginning of significant cultural changes related to social media and the internet in general. Toscano, that's his last name. He believes that we're only like a decade or two or two away from looking back at social media usage in its current form and frowning on its place in society much like what happened with cigarettes. Let me quote this for us real quick. Quote, we are all going to say, I can't believe we let our kids do it. I can't believe we did this in our bed. I can't believe, you know, that we let people who shouldn't have access to these things have access to them, unquote. I kind of agree. Yeah, it's super powerful, especially when these are people who have been in the industry. I think that's what the social dilemma spoke so well to was you had you know, ex-Google consultants or Google execs or people who've worked for Meta or people who've, you know, I think the founder, the former founder of Pinterest was on there. There's all these different people giving their opinion saying, hey, hello, this isn't great. Even though this is what everybody's doing, this is not good. This is not good for young people. It's not good for society. So what we want to do today is look specifically at what is meant by harming young users. You know, that court document out of California says that they harness powerful technology to ensnare its users. You know, that's powerful language. Dude, that's biblical language. That's like Ezekiel 13, 8, when he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to the women who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. Will you ensnare the lives of my people, but preserve your own? Ooh. I mean, okay, so the cultural context of what God says or what God is saying through Ezekiel, it it can be totally different than right what we're looking at right now. But the overarching concept is still the same. If we're creating ways or if they're creating ways to visually capture someone's intention, attention in order to ensnare them, capt- like capture them, that's absolutely wrong. Yeah, so true. That's a great example. So let's identify the impact of these harms, how it's ensnaring young people with this powerful technology. So we're going to highlight five things. These are the impacts that we've identified at Brave Parenting that are biblical and that we've read through the scientific research. Uh, We've discovered these through extensive talking with teenagers and parents and evaluated the function of social media, both biblically and theologically. So These are five ways that social media gravely impacts young people. And I'm going to list the five, then we're going to go through them. The first one is worldview. The second is relationships. Number three is comparison. Four is content. And five is time. It's so foundational, Cal, that we start with worldview because this is fundamental. This defines how young people take information 
how they understand it, and then, of course, how they apply it to their life or how they respond just to reality. This is the lens. Biblical worldview is a lens that everything is seen through. Thus, as we'll see, if that lens gets distorted, then it follows that relationships, comparison, content, and time. All of that is going to be distorted as well. So it's really imperative that parents realize how important worldview is. It's one's worldview that distinguishes how social media is going to be used by that person. We had a really fantastic worldview episode. So if anyone would like to go back and listen to that, um, I would highly suggest you listen to it. It is fantastic. But let's look at what a worldview is. Foundationally, it it answers four questions. Now, you could read a lot of different apologetics books, and they're going to word these questions a little bit differently, but essentially they boil all down to the same concept. The first one, the first question a worldview answers is, why am I here? You might um, hear the question also like, does God exist? Because that is fundamental. We have to answer that question first. The next question is, how did I get here? Or who is man? The third question is, where am I going? Maybe it answers the question of what is the problem? Almost every worldview recognizes that there's a problem here. And the last question is, in light of all of those questions that I've just answered, how then am I going to live? Or what's the end goal of my life? So imagine if there aren't answers to these questions before a young person gets on social media. Because a worldview is often caught rather than taught. We are not intentionally teaching our children worldview anymore. So the world at large and the algorithms, guess what they're going to do, you guys? They're going to provide the answers for those unanswered questions. And it's precisely these answers that are the problem. The first question of why am I here? Guess who's going to answer that, you guys? Instagram. Instagram is going to answer that with to be liked, to be followed, to be famous and to be popular. That's why you're here. And that last question, how should I live? Again, easy enough for Instagram to answer. Instagram is going to tell you that you are called and purposed to live a content-driven life. Post more, comment more, share more, engage more, 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 more. But these answers, they do not satisfy our soul. They do not point to Christ or our God-given purpose here on earth, or to the immense worth that we have as image bearers, or if you're in Christ as a child of God, instead they leave the young at heart just empty and wanting. So when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, y'all, social media will echo the same claim. And when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, social media will portray itself as that they too are the sustenance that you need. And again, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, social media says that they too are bringing light into the world. It's, It's creepy and it's eerie, to be quite honest. It's true, it's true. When you think about the unspoken claims that social media makes, not only to young people, but even to us as adults, you can see how one's worldview becomes so distorted by the fickleness of this world. And when worldview changes so drastically and harmfully, I would add, during these adolescent years, yes, depression, yes, hopelessness and anxiety, these all occur. The mind cannot reconcile all of the information into a healthy meaning of life. That's a really good point, Kelly. 
I think, can we circle back around to the big tobacco example for a second? Do you remember these companies, they advertise that doctors and dentists recommended Camel more than any other brand. Funny story, I actually had a Joe Camel shirt as a kid because my grandfather sold the cigarettes. crazy? I know. But they, they, right, they promoted it for children, for pregnant women. They even touted its health benefits. And this was all through magazines and television ads way before the internet and groupthink and right, echo chambers, before those things were a thing. So if big tobacco can manipulate a person's worldview and influence their behavior just through magazine and television ads, then in our present world of constant connectivity and algorithm-driven content, we would be absolute fools to think that big tech doesn't have similar capabilities. That is, that is an excellent point. When we think about how many people generally knew the harmful effects of cigarettes because the, there was information out there, but because the companies kept promoting them, people kept buying them and they kept putting out ads saying that it was, that it was good. It was good for them and all these great professionals were using them. If that could happen through, yeah, magazine and television ads, we do seem like fools if we think that a global, interconnected, always on platform is not going to do that same exact thing. All right, let's move on and talk about the second way that young people are impacted by social media, and that is relationships. Now, humanity was created by God to live in community. We see the need for community and in relationships just in the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Scripture, right, Jesus walked with 12 men in community, forming deep and intimate relationships with them. We are not meant to live in isolation. And loneliness is a huge topic right now among Gen Z, who, who was the first generation who got on social media as teenagers. And the reality is that social media, it promised connection and community. I've talked about this before. You've all heard me say it. It lies to us. And it says that we're not going to have friends if you aren't on the platform. It lies and says you're going to be left out. You're going to be alone. You're going to be uninformed. You're going to be irrelevant. But social media does not deliver on any of this. And this is precisely the the problem, but it just has, has such a direct impact on relationships. They only offer surface level connections. Because comments and impressions, such as likes and loves, those are not conversation. They're just platitudes at best. And at worst, comments are hateful and degrading. Social media is not relationships. It is social advertisement. Sure, you can see a picture of your friend on vacation or learn about another friend who's having a baby, but that's just information. That's not how relationships work or thrive, right? True, authentic, life-giving relationships happen in the context of face-to-face, life-on-life interactions. So that friend, they want to tell me about their vacation, it'd be them calling me, texting me, hey, sharing some pictures with me directly. Or if I find out that my best friend is, is having a baby and they've not called me, right? That goes to show the depth of our relationship, right? Those are things that should be happening much more personally and not socially on these platforms. So for teens, let's look at an example for them. They may see that their friends' vacation pictures, um, or they may learn that a, a friend was asked to a, you know, the homecoming dance by so-and-so. So 
they see the same things and they process things the same exact way. Regardless if you are 14 or 40, it's just information. It's not relationship. True friends, they call you and they text you. And we've bought into this lie that information is authentic connection with others. And it is not. The more we live this content-driven life on social media and call it kind of, quote, keeping up with friends, the more isolated and lonely we as a society will be. Yeah, they were the first generation. And I'm just looking around. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenchingly heartbreaking to see what's going on with these young adults. And I think just to highlight how significant of a problem this this lack of deep and meaningful relationships is regarding Gen Z. Let's just let's just read some headlines real quick over the past year. The first one, Gen Z is the loneliest generation. Gen Z is still suffering severe loneliness and social anxiety. Gen Z loneliness is so bad they're spending money to make friends. We actually cover that in a Worldview Wednesday. If friendship is currency, then Gen Z is broke. Why Gen Z struggles to make and keep friends. Isolation among Gen Z. How social isolation can damage your mind and body. And Kel, even the Surgeon General of the United States has identified the situation as a loneliness epidemic. It's crazy. So when it comes, I, I, th- that's what I'm saying. Am I, like, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. And those are just the headlines from uh, past six months, not even the, f- yeah, like, they're the all full year. Over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when it comes down to objectively looking at what on earth is wrong with Gen Z and Gen Alpha who are born after 2012, we have to recognize, we must recognize it is a relationship problem at the core. Yeah, absolutely. And in light of this lawsuit against Meta, you know, claiming that they employed their powerful technologies to ensnare young people and harm them, we have to step back and recognize that the lack of authentic relationship problem is inherent in social media. It's not just Facebook or Instagram, but in all social media apps that give the illusion of connection, but only deliver a perpetual isolation. So that also goes to TikTok. You can call it just entertainment because you're not necessarily following or watching people that you know, but it is still inherently isolating. You are by yourself with your screen, just there being entertained. It is inherently isolating. Okay, let's move on to the third way that social media impacts mental health and well-being of young people, and that is through comparison. You know, when young people begin living the, you know, we at Brave Parenting call it the content-driven life, their worldview is shaped by the content they see, right? Of course it is. Their brains are actively forming and forging these neural networks that make sense of the world around them. Therefore, any and all stimuli taken in on social media, it is processed through an underdeveloped system that is hyper-focused on peer acceptance and approval, right? Their brains are not fully formed. And we already know this has been always peer acceptance and approval has been a very big thing for young people. So now comparison, if we consider it just for what it is, it's natural. It's a human characteristic. We can't necessarily help it. It's not always good, but it's not necessarily always bad. Today, however, the comparison isn't just with peers in your school or community like it was, say, when we were growing up in a a non-internet world. 
comparison now is on a global scale. And even worse, comparisons, they're not, it's not even fair <laughs> because they're not even real, right? If you consider the photo filters and the editing and the AI, we talked about that last week, and really just the hyperbolic content that no young person could actually compete with, but yet when they see it, their minds and hearts wants to compete with it. And one area I see that Meta's platforms certainly contribute to this problem is the pushing and promoting of such content. Furthermore, the algorithms seem to almost force girls, especially, into this trap of comparison by displaying content, let's say, highlighting thinness or dieting. Then after ensnaring the girls into feeling like they're less than because, I don't know, they don't have a thigh gap or whatever, they then promote content about diet plans and exercise and this sort of pro-anorexia kind of content in order to achieve this level of thinness or no thigh gap that they, that they were just pushed to in the first place. Well, before you know it, the child has a sort of body dysmorphia or an eating disorder. This is where we see the demise of so many young people's mental health. They don't feel good enough, so they become depressed and sad because they're constantly comparing themselves. Well, the algorithm senses this too and begins feeding them depression and sadness-related content, maybe even suicide-related content. It's just insane. The algorithm just picks up on every new little nuance, but unfortunately, it's a downward spiral. Yeah, my heart just breaks when you think about what's happening to these girls. Yeah. That Dev commercial. Yeah. <laughs> if we go back to that Dev commercial, I still can't watch it without crying. There was a study, Kelly, um, where they found that 87% of women and 65% of men, they said that they compared their bodies to those that they saw when they were consuming social media and traditional media. And I think that just goes to your point right there. Like this is something that is ensnaring young people. It is taking them captive and holding them hostage. This is not just a girl issue either, you guys. But I would say overall, the impact of comparison is most acutely, it is definitely most acutely on body image. I think that parents who allow their children access to social media at young ages often forget that the Instagram stream is no longer limited to just the friends that you follow. No, there is so much more suggested content for these kids to follow, to discover. It's not just about following your friends anymore. And that is the design of Instagram. And it is a major problem right there. Yeah, that is the problem, right? In a statement by Meta, you know, they note <laughs> that they have already rolled out 30 new tools supporting teens on its app since 2021. And these include reminders to take breaks, sharing export resources if kids search for posts on suicide or eating disorders. Okay, you know, I'm sorry, but this just isn't adequate enough considering the scale of the problem. I'm thankful for these 30 new tools. And I will say that Instagram is far better, better in quotes, today than it was when I started Brave Parenting. Back in 2016, it was, it was a hot, hot mess. I would never have let anybody, anybody of my kids go anywhere near it. But what they're doing is not an adequate response to the scale of the problem. You know, they continue um, in this statement by saying, Quote, we wish that the states wouldn't have resorted to a lawsuit and instead that they would have worked with tech firms across the industry to create clear age-appropriate standards, end quote. They're saddened 
that the states have resorted to a lawsuit and said, why don't you just come and work with us? Why don't you just come and, and talk to us? Oh, we would have changed. I mean, does anybody believe that? I don't, I don't like, I'm hoping that you're saying no, no one believes that on the other end of, of listening. Yeah, I, I read Zuckerberg's kind of like response. They had a massive like server issue and then he read, then he wrote this huge response on the server issue and what was going on with the lawsuit. And he said he was disappointed. I'm disappointed. I was like, you'd be a lot more than just disappointed, but that's just my, those are just my thoughts. I've got a few parents who are disappointed. We can, yeah, yeah. We can gather we, and be disappointed yeah. together, Mark. You know, I think the big question or the question that the attorney generals across the country are asking is this, is it really that simple? Because I'm guessing that they are proceeding with this lawsuit because tech firms are not willing to work with anyone to keep young people off these platforms. That would be absolutely detrimental for Meta. Entities have been after Facebook and Instagram for quite a while, and they've been after them to care more about kids for a long time. The sad thing is, the problem is only getting worse. It's absolutely true. It's true. There has been so much in the news over the past five years, and nothing, nothing significant has happened. So I, I do agree that that is, that is really the bottom line. All right, let's continue on and talk about the next way that young people are negatively impacted, and that is by content. So we talked about worldview, we talked about relationships, we talked about comparison, and now we're talking about content. We touched on this a little bit in that comparison um, section, but I just want to highlight a couple more things. First, so I recently spoke to several hundred eighth graders, and I asked them the question, who controls the content you see? And I thought at eighth grade that they would maybe understand. And seemingly everyone yelled out, I do. Yikes. Exactly. Kids feel like they have control over what they see because of who they follow. But the reality is they have zero control. We as adults really have zero control. We maybe have a little more control because we can block certain people or kind of click on that, don't want to see that type of ad or content again. But kids may or may not do that. The algorithm holds all control. And while we understand these are businesses and therefore they out, are out to make money, I think it's imperative to know how much money they are making on this, mod, this algorithmic model of suggested content and advertising. So let's just get, run through these numbers. These might shock you. Let's start with TikTok. They are estimated to make $18 billion in ad revenue in 2023. 18 billion. That seems like quite a lot, right? YouTube is estimated to make 33 billion. 33 billion. And Instagram, a staggering $50.6 billion in ad revenue in 2023. Knowing this, do you think Instagram cares about your kids? Do you want me to answer that question? Because I, I can answer that for us. Absolutely not. They do not care about your kids, my kids, our kids collectively. No, they do not care. Jesus said that you cannot serve God and money. And this is exactly what we see here. They are absolutely serving their bottom line and their pocketbooks. They cannot possibly serve and honor God by loving and caring his for, for his creation I, through his image bearers or those who he has deemed as his children. There's not even a head nod or a tip of the hat to God from Meta or Instagram or any of these companies. Kelly, $50 billion in ad revenue while children become crippled, lose their lives, lose their lives, you guys, 
to the content that strips them of their worldview, relationships, self-worth, and well-being. Are you kidding me right now? They absolutely do not care. I'm I'm taking off my earrings. They right. do not care. <laughs> right. And when we think about fifty billion dollars in ad revenue and why why do the states care? Why do why are, you know, the good government essentially now suing this entity? We have to realize each state is now crippled because the children are crippled. The mental health facilities, the um there's not enough therapists, there's not enough inpatient um, mental health facilities to handle all of this. I think we've talked about this a little bit before, like emergency rooms are overwhelmed. Primary care pediatricians are overwhelmed with how much mental health they're having to deal with. And all of that overflows to the state. And so that's why the states are like, hang on. <laughs> we don't even have the money and the, the capabilities to handle what your platform is doing to the young people in our state. Therefore, we need to take action. So just another note on content, and this is actually like TikTok research, and I think we've shared it before, but it's super relevant here as well. The Wall Street Journal did some research uh, by programming bots with cues of sadness and depression, and then they put them on TikTok. And it took 36 minutes 36 minutes and the average uh, young person today spends two hours on TikTok, but it took 36 minutes, 224 videos before 93% of all videos were sadness and depression related. Okay, this is the power of the algorithmic driven content. 36 minutes to be shown 93% of all sadness and depression related content. In another organization, they found that it only took 2.4 minutes on TikTok to show what was young adolescents, like 13-year-old girls, to show them pro-thinness and restrictive eating plans and self-harm video content to these young girls. 2.4 minutes. I have to, I have that, I have the question, right? There always seems to be that argument, and I can hear it in my head right now. There always seems to be that argument that's made, well, well, I only follow positive and Christian content. So if I do that, then I'm not going to see or consume any of that bad stuff, right? That's the argument that a lot of us use to justify the use of the socials. But the reality is, is that that's impossible. That is absolutely impossible. The design of the platform is such that it ensnares. It takes you captive and holds you hostage. It ensnares you with suggested content and psychologically manipulates you to keep scrolling. This has been the way Instagram has operated since Meta or Facebook took it over. And this is why 41 states are suing them because they don't want to change in spite of the mounting evidence that it absolutely hurts children. Yeah. And I think, you know, we want to just assume that's like hyperbolic language of, you know, ensnaring and psychologically manipulating. But there's some science, there's some research behind this. Your brain is changing. I don't think it's as hyperbolic. As we might, you know, initially when we hear that and think that, oh, it's not really manipulating my brain. No, scientifically, it really is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so we've done um, uh, the, the four ways and now we are on our fifth way. So the fifth way that Instagram and social media platforms negatively impact young people is by time. Now, we can call it wasted time, a, a loss of time, but time, this concept of time is a big piece of this harmful puzzle to young people because of all of this time consuming content, comparing yourself and 
thinking about content and comparison, there is an absolute loss. And what is lost may be different for every person, but just consider the simple loss of sleep. Now that's kind of like across the board for teenagers right now. Common Sense Media just came out with a report, which we will be reviewing next week, shameless plug right there. Um, They found that over half of teens in their study are using their phones overnight on school nights for social media, for gaming, and the use of YouTube. Well, it has already been scientifically proven that lack of sleep, especially quality sleep, makes a person more prone to anxiety and depression. So now you have the comparison of social media influencing anxiety and depression and the lack of sleep also feeding the anxiety and depression. This is a this is a lose-lose, you guys. A total lose-lose for teenagers. Now, what else is lost with the time on social media? Relationships, absolutely, to be sure. We see this directly inside the home. Teens perceive their time on social media as connection with friends, and they absolutely reject their family or their parents in pursuit of these connections. But as we have already established, these connections are not real. They're not authentic relationships. And this practice is just breeding more and more isolation. They've cut off their family and they lack true connection with peers. And honestly, this question of time's impact also goes back to worldview. Often kids say they don't know what they would do with their time if they didn't have social media. Well, how do you answer those essential life questions? Why am I here? What is my purpose? How shall I live? If these questions can be answered in the context of your family, your community, and your church, all without social media, the chances are so much greater that that person can, that young person can find value and worth and purpose in their life outside of the world of global comparisons. So when we think of, yeah, like time and worldview, I mean, all these five different factors just really tie together in that sense that one affects the other, builds on the other. And before you know it, we have this problem with young people where they're just, you know, sadly, they're kind of a mess. That's true. It really is true. They're very much interconnected. And I think that's the, that's the point. And I appreciate this, this podcast is like teasing out what is interconnected and kind of labeling them and helping uh, us and parents define what these things are, what these losses are, or these impacts are. So let's just review them one more time. These five impacts are worldview relationships, comparison, content, and time. And they really do demonstrate why there is an absolute need for change. If that change comes from 41 states suing Meta or through trying to force government policies regarding young people's use of social media, change will inevitably come. This isn't just simply a model for human flourishing. And if they are young people today and they're hurting so significantly now, can you imagine what it's going to be like in their prime years when they're young adults? I I can't really wrap my mind around it because honestly, Kelly, it's it's so bad in my perspective. It's so bad right now for young adults. I can't imagine what it would look like worse. Do you know what I mean? Going forward, looking at the future. Yeah, something has to change. Yeah, I interact with a lot of um, young, well, I say young adult Gen Zs. So between the ages of 20 and 25. And, you know, some are, some are doing okay, but I'll tell you, those are the ones who don't live for social media. And then the ones who spend so much time on there, 
there's a struggle and it, it's, it's very easy to see. Um, but man, once they're adults and they don't have, I would say really a, a parent who has the ability to really kind of force the hand, that's why it is so important. And we really believe that, you know, yeah, change from the government or states suing, you know, that's, that's possible. I can bring change. But we really believe that change starts with brave parents doing the work of waiting and limiting at home. It starts, it starts in the home and it, and it has to start, you know, before they are 16 or before they're even 13, before they really start having the desire to be on social media. And I really believe that it takes you as brave parents sharing this message with your friends and they too need to be brave because it's so much easier to be braver in groups and in community of parents together and of kids together. You know, there's some new research being done right now and that I, I think is really interesting. I just read about it and, and it talks about how that essentially if you ask one person if they could be paid $100 to quit social media, they would do it. Then, but initially, you know, they would, they would be excited. Yeah, I'll get off social media. But then after a certain amount of time, they wouldn't be able to handle the, the fear of missing out, right? The FOMO. And then they would get back on. However, if you ask this person's entire friend group, if they were all offered $100 to get off social media, they would all agree and they could do so successfully because there wouldn't be such a level of FOMO. It's, it's like young people know. They know social media is not good. I can't tell you how many teens and high schoolers I've talked to in our church who have social media and they know that it's bad, but they feel like they have to have it in order to communicate or to keep up. Well, if we could just convince groups of kids, friend groups, church groups, whoever, to just get off and stay off, well, there's not going to be nearly as much FOMO if there's not that many teens engaging, posting, and doing all that on the app. If Snapchat was not used for communication, if they actually just went back and used text messages, then no one would feel like they have to have Snapchat. And I think this is precisely why we as parents need to step in and almost force a different scenario. And I'm really not about helicopter parenting or enabling style parenting, you know, except when it comes to actually setting our kids up for failure and harm. You know, I'm not going to save my kid from a, a failing assignment by doing the assignment for them, but I will save them from psychological manipulation, depression, anxiety by not allowing social media at young ages. And that has to come from us as parents. We are the front line. We can't rely on the state or the government and goodness sakes, we know that we can't rely on meta or these platforms. They're not going to change, right? It starts with us. It really absolutely starts at the home. I absolutely agree. I don't necessarily think we need, I mean, it's great that they're, the, these states are shining a light on the darkness and the, the ways that these platforms are hurting children. But I mean, to be honest, Cal, we, we've never needed these states to say, hey, this is bad for us to know that it's bad, right? We've, we, we all, know. We, yeah. We know. We know it is. We know it as parents. You know, if you call it like that mama bear gut instinct that this is just not good and just takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of bravery to say, no, not our family. Right. You know, this is not mm -hmm. the way we're going to raise our kids. So today, as we wrap up, we encourage you parents, as always, to begin this conversation about social media and its potentials to harm 
and uh, talk about why 16-year-olds will be the youngest age that they'll be allowed on some types of social media. Talk about why honesty is important. Talk about why it's detrimental to their their mental health, even if they're 16. You know, it's like driving a car at 16. Just because you're 16 doesn't mean you necessarily have to do it, right? It's not necessary. Age is not maturity. Maturity is character. This helps set the standard and the expectation. And of course, be sure that you are modeling the fact that social media can be detrimental by not scrolling social media yourself in front of them or posting pictures of them on social media. We cannot emphasize that enough. Please do not post pictures of your children on social media <laughs> any longer. <laughs> that's, our, that's our new bandwagon we just got it on. Re- it really is. <laughs> All right, y'all. We really do pray that this um, message was really just overall edifying, that you could see the big picture if you hadn't seen the big picture before. It's important, like I said, that we get other parents on board with this message. And maybe this podcast can open the door to those conversations with your kids' friends and their parents. Don't forget to subscribe to the Brave Parenting Bullet Points newsletter. It comes out the first of every month. You can do that at braveparenting.net forward slash newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you all. Until next week, go and be brave. <laughs>